Welcome to African Theological Scholarship Podcast, where scholars of African Christianity and theology discuss their research. Your host is Harvey Quiani, professor of African theology at Liverpool Hope University. Here's today's episode. Good morning, Dr. Adedibu. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Well, I'm fine. So good to talk to you this morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let me allow you to introduce yourself, our audience, <laughs> and then we get to the questions. Thank you very much. Um, I'm a missionologist and uh, currently serve as the provost of the uh, Beijing Christian Bible College, which is an affiliate of University of Bible and Redeemers University. Also, I am a research fellow with the Department of Practical Theology and Missiology, University of Stellenbosch, and a published author, and also uh, someone conversant with uh, various issues in practical theology and missiology in general. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, As a missiologist working in West Africa, how what how do you see the field playing itself out? What's happening in in missiology in West Africa? Uh, I think quite a lot is happening, and uh, I think I must first of all give due credit to colleagues in South Africa and East Africa. Uh, they've done marvelously well, uh, particularly in terms of uh, uh, indigenization, uh, particularly South Africa probably due to apartheid and the likes. A lot has been done on decolonization. Uh, I want to give credit to someone like uh, late Professor uh, Mbiti, uh, a great man, a philosopher, uh, distinguished uh, missiologist as well, uh, who did a lot of works in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, his uh, contribution on uh, indigenization as well. In West Africa, the field is quite uh, gradually emerging, and I want to think uh, it's due to the fact that uh, a very uh, first observation is the fact that most universities or colleges in West Africa only offer church history as a discipline. And so you wouldn't find... uh, them training missiologists as a train, South Africa or East Africa. Uh, so it's a novel field that you only find church historians being the doyen in, uh, in West Africa and taking uh, missiological courses as a train. Uh, but nevertheless, we've had uh, great inroads made by uh, scholars from the Catholic uh, denomination uh, who trained outside and are contributing particularly in the area of contextualization. Uh, a lot has been written uh, by some of the scholars uh, who are Catholic priests and are doing marvelously well. Can, can you mention a few names? Um, there's a particular name uh, that rings a bell uh, who, is, um, who has done marvelously well. Um, just let me try and 
remember during the course of the interview, I will be able to mention the name. Okay. Yes, please. That's all right. You have published quite a lot in, in the past few months. Uh, I know that you 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 you've made a contribution to the African Public Theology book that's coming out of Langham in the next week or so. Yeah. Could, could you talk a bit about that essay? Uh well, I think uh, I don't know whether I published or not, but uh, <laughs> I think I've just done a few in the recent past. Uh, so I think uh, just uh, this January. A compendium was produced, edited by Philip Ullman and Will Grab and Mary Louise Fruist, of which I contributed to. I contributed a chapter to the edited volume, published by Rutledge. It is entitled "Africa Initiated Christianity and the Decolonization of Development," That's right. uh, which is a critical view uh, with respect to sustainable development uh, within the Pentecostal and Africa independent stream of the Christian faith. Uh, the trust of the book essentially uh, is the fact that the editors and the contributors uh, gave an overview of the overhacking perspectives of the contributions of uh, Pentecostalism as well as um, uh, African independent uh, churches. Uh, although I know in terms of uh, uh, mapping uh, the categorization, there's an overlap uh, between Hayhaisi and um, Pentecostal churches as a triad. Uh, some uh, obviously would want to be referred to as Pentecostal, while some will surely want to retain their identity as being indigenous. Uh, but nevertheless, the whole trust of the publication uh, is divided into about, uh, I think, about five chapters, uh, which looked at uh, the perspectives uh, of, uh, of uh, the spirit harming on AIC. Uh, likewise, also, you have uh, perspectives from Nigeria, uh, of which I contributed a chapter. Likewise, and my chapter is entitled Approaches to Transformation and Development, the case of the Regime Christian. Uh, Church of God Nigeria. Uh, likewise, a valid contribution in that segment is also from uh, uh, Professor Lufunke Adeboye, uh, who incidentally is the first uh, a female, first female uh, dean of faculty of arts of the University of Lagos. Uh, she wrote a very, very interesting article, which is entitled, A Starving Man Cannot uh, shout hallelujah, African Pentecostal churches and the challenge of promoting sustainable development. Uh, being an historian, uh, she, gave, she gives a very good insight into the, the history, which uh, is not so uh, so popular in the public domain as it were. Uh, the next section also looks at uh, the Ghanaian perspectives, um, uh, which uh, gives balance to the West African perspective of things. Uh, but not only that, you also find that the Francophone also feature, like the, uh, from Burkina Faso, uh, also there's a perspective on that. And the Zimbabwean 
uh, perspectives. And in conclusion, you have the South African perspectives. And other scholars that also have notes uh, that did a very good job in that uh, you find uh, Asamoa uh, Gedu uh, from Ghana, the current uh, um, head of Trinity College Ghana. Sure. Uh, likewise, you find uh, Ignatius Swartz, which is an authority on development from uh, uh, South Africa. Sure. Uh, you also find uh, uh, someone like uh, um, Dietrich Weiner, uh, the German uh, scholar, uh, also contributed to the edited volume. Brilliant. Well, if I want to talk about my my article in that, uh, essentially, I argue along the lines of Affair Adugame, uh, in that right of that uh, development should be considered from below uh, rather than uh, following the Western epistemological approach uh, of definition of development, which is alien to the lived religion approach of Africans. And in doing that, uh, the whole thrust of the argument is that some of the uh, econometrics utilized, uh, if by any standard, uh, should be considered uh, in Africa, uh, then nothing is happening. Uh, the second strong argument is the fact that a lot is happening and is happening through the Pentecostal and charismatic movement, uh, essentially uh, hanging along the lines of uh, uh, Yamasuru in terms of progressive Pentecostalism, uh, that a lot is being done within the social community development by these indigenous Pentecostal churches, uh, which ultimately will lead to sustainable development of Africans. And uh, I looked at the, at the Redeemed Christian Church of God, which uh, is perhaps one of the most visible uh, Pentecostal churches in Africa, and also with uh, presence in almost uh, 198 countries of the world. Uh, so this gives insights uh, as an example of um, one of the several Pentecostal movements in Africa uh, that is contributing to sustainable development of its uh, communities where they are situated. Uh, so uh, that is just uh, a summary of my section in that edited volume. Okay. Brilliant. And then you have another essay coming out in the African Public Theology. Yes. Uh, that is a classic uh, publication in the sense that it's a compendium of about uh, 30 uh, scholars, including sure. practitioners, including uh, public figures uh, that is entirely African. Okay. And the focus is uh, public theology. And this uh, started as a result of the desire of the general editor in the person of Sunday Hagen uh, with respect to what is the, uh, the new Africa should look like what are some of the issues that are confronting Africa? Uh, and as such, there is a need for 
of us to look at these issues uh, and uh, be able to address some of these challenges. And so what a Christian perspective towards it. And I contributed a chapter on that, which is entitled uh, Migration and Human Traffic. Right. Human Trafficking, which sure. uh, is one of the uh, articles in the compendium. And the trust of this particular segment is to look at, uh, generally I tried as much as possible to look at the, uh, the concept of migration, uh, that is not a new phenomenon. Uh, likewise, also, I also can see that the fact that uh, migration is deeply embedded in the biblical narrative, uh, starting from the uh, book of Genesis, uh, not only that, the experience of my, uh, migrants in the process of uh, moving from one culture to the other, traversing the face of the heart, not only in the biblical times, but even contemporary society, migration entails a lot of dangers, hazards, and uh, uh, emotional uncertainties uh, with respect to the host context, uh, the dangers, social economic, cultural discontinuities that most of these uh, migrants experience. Uh, but not only that, they, we also looked at the issue of the fact that uh, uh, there are so many push and pull dynamics uh, uh, that influence migration. And uh, in this piece, I talked about essentially some of the reasons why a young, able-bodied African uh, we leave and decides to go through the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, in a dinghy boat, all in the hope of uh, uh, arriving in uh, the mother's country or in Italy uh, for a life of uh, heaven on earth, uh, which most times is a mirage, uh, but oftentimes ending disaster. Uh, and so I look at some of the pros and cons of migration, uh, the misconception that uh, migrants have nothing to offer within the society, uh, which is uh, a fallacy, uh, because if you trace the history of Britain today, trace the history of America, uh, you find what the Jews have contributed. In Britain, you find that so many heroes of our past Africans played prominent roles in terms of the social, economic, and uh, political development in Britain as well. Even the current, uh, the preceding uh, leaders of the opposition, uh, all, all at one time or the other, uh, is the reality that they are migrants. Uh, but now they, are now, they are now second or third generation uh, British citizens as a trade. And so, uh, there is an erroneous notion that migrants don't have anything to offer, uh, which is not true. Uh, not only that, also is the fact that um, I was able to argue using the World Bank report uh, of the positive effect of African uh, diaspora on African exports uh, that is higher than the average effect of migration, uh, which points to the fact that uh, uh, the migrants overcome the major challenges and eventually uh, 
challenges of African uh, trade. And so, moreover, migrants also contribute to their host countries in terms of their economic contributions, in terms of manpower, in terms of uh, capital, and in terms of uh, physical resources, uh, not to talk of intellectual uh, <laughs> astuteness of which you are doing where you are. <laughs> so you find us all over, <laughs> all over the world. Uh, for instance, the United States, uh, it has been found in a research that they that the highest level of migrants are educated in the United States are Nigerians. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's a massive plus. Uh, an average Nigerian you find in the United States would be at least a graduate uh, compared uh, to the indigenous uh, uh, African-American. Uh, then I also look at uh, the current issue of human trafficking with its wickedness and its uh, exploitative tendency. Uh, you realize that uh, there was uh, the passing of bills, several bills in the House of Parliament in Britain uh, some years back with respect to uh, human slavery, uh, which talks about uh, issues like human trafficking, uh, slavery, uh, abuse, um, prostitution. And this all reflects around the Palermo, uh, uh, Palermo uh, Protocol that was signed in December 2000, uh, which prohibits uh, trafficking of person, uh, either through recruitment, a transfer harboring or receipt of persons uh, by means of threats uh, or force. And it gave quite an extensive definition of what human trafficking is all about. And this in itself uh, provides a much required uh, uh, space for international agencies to collaborate and address uh, the issue of human trafficking. Uh, just a few days ago, you will notice in the newspaper, on social media, there was a case of a Lebanese uh, gentleman that put up a lady, a Nigerian lady for sale advertised the lady, a 30-year-old lady, a Hebrew strong, and all for just $1,000 on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, just three days after, uh, uh, the gentleman has reacted, uh, all because of public outcry. Uh, so you see a lot is happening uh, with respect to human trafficking. Uh, not only that, uh, migrants are vulnerable uh, to uh, in human trafficking because of the fact that their desire to move from one context to the other uh, basically to enhance themselves. Some are fleeing persecution, some economic migrants, some political, but oftentimes uh, the hardest are the economic migrants that are not able to go through the legitimate routes of uh, migration. Uh, but wants to escape uh, through financial uh, challenges of going through uh, the legitimate process of migration. And so uh, not only that they, they want to move because of failed state status of most African countries, uh, poor economic situation, poverty, and a host of other issues. And human traffickers along the line have played tremendous role 
uh, in terms of end-to-end uh, arrangements by these human traffickers, which makes them to be extremely vulnerable. Uh, some end up being abused, some end up being uh, raped. So this article in itself is a major uh, perspective with respect to uh, the challenges of human trafficking. And I think the concluding part of it is just discouraging migration. I know this sounds uh, hard, but the reality is the fact that in the face of uh, choosing between life and death, uh, I think migrants will want to live rather than die in the course of their journey. And how do uh, the state concern look at the issues of discouraging uh, migration? And the thing is to address some of the push and pull factors. Uh, if the economy is addressed and is good, stable, uh, people have jobs, there's security, uh, then uh, migration will reduce to a large extent. Uh, secondly, also, uh, is the fact that um, there should be more public sensitization with respect to the dangers of uh, of illicit migration and making use of uh, uh, illegitimate uh, routes uh, for migration. Uh, those that pay men to take them from one Sahara desert to the other through the Mediterranean Sea uh, have always ended up uh, being abused in one form or the other. Uh, and various outlines are given in terms of the process of information campaign, community awareness, public jingle, public uh, offices, uh, sensitizing uh, their citizens towards the dangers of migration, and giving them a shock therapy of what uh, likely before uh, someone who goes on an illicit migration route. Uh, the last one, I think, which is centered on the, um, on the caring of the migrant itself, gives a biblical insight into what should be, what should be our responsibility towards migrants from the biblical perspectives. And I think the uniqueness of this work also is that uh, there are questions for discussion in the volume. Uh, it's an easy read, uh, devoid of strong academic icons. Uh, just for public accessibility. Uh, so many people will find it quite helpful uh, to gloss over, uh, to read, and uh, I think it's going to be a major uh, major rallying point for Africans uh, to have produced this kind of uh, text. Sure. Wow. That's good. Sounds really exciting. Um as I said, Langham got in touch about it and I can't wait to get my hands on the book. So this is really good. Um, we lost a mutual friend in December. Yeah. We can't have this conversation without mentioning his name. Uh, I, I miss Pastor Gabriel Dia very, very dearly. I, yeah. Still haven't recovered. Well, it's, uh, I don't think I can recover, uh, I must be honest. Uh, yeah. uh, well, I think it's a brother from another mother. That's right. For me. And uh, he was incredibly loyal and faithful. Um, 
he was there for me when I needed him most in my life. And uh, someone that I've known for almost 25 years of my life, uh, the better part of my journey towards uh, achieving what I've achieved as a scholar, um, it's, um, I think it was there with me as a family member, not as a friend. Uh, it was just, it was a marvelous gentleman, a complete gentleman for that. He it was, was a gentle giant. So rest in peace. Please. Uh, let's, let's try and land this, and basically by talking about mission and the African church in Europe, which is something okay. I, I, I mean, I look up to you for guidance in this conversation. <laughs> What what is happening? What what do you think is going on? Uh, well, I think I should pose that question to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let it be the reverse order now. <laughs> I, I, I think I think I want to. I'm extremely grateful that we now have at least a very active playing field, uh, Africans contributing to the, to the discussion uh, quite well and well articulated. I think I, I have to commend your, you coming on the scene, uh, first with your, with your publication, uh, the first one which uh, was the proceed of your uh, doctoral thesis, and this second one on multiculturalism, again, which uh, hopefully uh, we intensify the discussion. Sure. Uh, also, is the likes of uh, Olofi Jano also. Uh, I've seen uh, some of his articles of late, which uh, and the edited volume as well. But uh, uh, he just released uh, some few weeks back. All this points to the fact that uh, Africans are now uh, contributing to the discussion and, uh, and we are almost uh, on the heels of our Caribbean brothers uh, who have done marvelously well in the likes of Joe Audrey, in the likes of uh, David Moy, in the likes of uh, Professor Robert Beckford, in the likes of, uh, of uh, the uh, Birmingham Connection, the Queen's... Uh, uh, Queen's uh, College in Birmingham. And uh, uh, the Caribbeans have done marvelously well to champion the issue of, uh, of uh, uh, decolonization, particularly the works of uh, uh, Robert Bedford uh, articulates that excellently, uh, calling Africans not to be enslaved or entrapped in the process of uh, imperial uh, Christianity and uh, having a sense of their own culture and standing up for what they believe as Africans. Um, but having said that, uh, I think also, um, I think um, I look forward to reading your book because there's an aspect that I think is really um, most African church leaders are not being sensitive to it. And that is a issue of um, uh, 
religious networking, um, of which uh, uh, the question is, if you are networking, is it to the organization or on personal level through which the benefits of the relationship, does it flow through the organization or is just a photo shoot to stand by this, uh, this, this gentleman in color and uh, you put it at your, at the, on your table in the office and say, oh, I had a meeting with so, 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 and so, or it's just the status symbol for Africans. Uh, it's rather an irony that some African church leaders attend meetings at West Minitas, and uh, it becomes the talk of the town. But the question is, are you meeting, is it perpetration of the class structure to which you are political tokens uh, at such forum? Uh, to complete the agenda, or you are talking from the point or espousing uh, the position of being at the margin of which you want to be at the center, uh, despite the fact that in terms of uh, the continuum of margin and center, uh, which is dominated by the fact that the historic denominations are the center, in terms of history, in terms of influence, in terms of resources, while you come in as a church that has assured the falling numbers in terms of church attendance, does that reposition you to the center? No. You still have a marginal status in terms of institutional religion. And so there's a continuum whereby, okay, uh, this religious networking puts people not necessarily at being at the center. And so there has to be the consciousness of saying, okay, what is this in terms of organizational transformation? For me, moving from the margin and coming to the center now, do we begin to hold conversations as being equal? Do we begin to talk together as uh, having one faith? Or even the simple agenda of the meeting, does it reflect the interest of both parties? And so uh, there is a need for a reflective engagement by some of our leaders to begin to understand the intricacies of, uh, of this power structure. So uh, that's very important. And even if you are, like you mentioned in your thesis, you said it's a lot easier for an African uh, to come into ecumenical space with a white denomination. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot difficult for them to come into that ecumenical space without having a sense of superiority. And so those are issues that I keep on seeing, and it seems it's not, uh, nothing's happening. And, and, and I think, I mean, reflecting on that uh, a few years after publishing Sent Forth, I, I, I see that dynamic even among us as Africans. 
that even even in our own African circles, there are people that are at the center and there are people that are at the margins, and and those dynamics don't don't change no matter what you do, right? And and so as as a Malawian doing what I do, I, I find myself at the margins in in conversations with other African nationals, right? And and I do not think we are going to move forward up until we we get that right. I agree with you. And uh, if we are going to move forward, then <laughs> there must be intentionality to do that. There must be a resolve to do that. Uh, if you are calling me to the table of communion, am I sitting as a guest or I'm sitting as joint here? Sure. Yeah. If you are calling me into a meeting, despite the differences in our liturgy, the differences in our ecclesiastical orientation, despite the differences in our doctrinal persuasion. But are you giving me that dignity as a human being? And you, you talk, you've talked about the concept very well. Uh, you know, Ubuntu, do, do I have the same dignity? Okay, do you honor me with the same level of uh, of respect that I show, I accord you. And these are deep issues, uh, I think. Uh, I think a lot has to be done about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I'm glad to see, to see you do well in, in Nigeria. I, I love it when I see you working with Opoku Onyina in Ghana and, and, and others. Um, I think that's the future, that we get to work together as African Christians, African Christian scholars, uh, try to move the conversation beyond the, the national boundaries that were imposed on us by colonialism. Well, it's, uh, you know, ecumenism is, is quite interesting. And uh, I, I realized that while I was in England, uh, most of the friends that I have, uh, even within the academic space, are people of other culture, of other tribes I interacted with. And uh, one of my close friends is uh, David Moir, mm-hmm. as it were, yes. um, who is in Roehampton. Mm-hmm. And... I always share the joke that uh, we all bring something to the table. We all have our diversities, but coming together, we have a cloth that is likened to the coat of many colors. Sure. We brighten of our lives, we brighten of the fellowship. Which, which well, is I the don't agree on everything. What's the title? But we have areas of commonalities that we can work together. And I think. Uh, that's also important as scholars as well sure. uh, to collaborate. Um, agree to disagree on intellectual principles of discourse, and uh, I think is a way forward. Okay, so um, I, I mean, a final thought question from me. 
Um, you're currently involved in the training of um, future leaders for the African church. Um, how is that looking? How is that working? How, how is uh, theological education looking on the continent? I think the prospects are there. Um, the prospects are quite good. Uh, but of late, I'm beginning to reflect uh, particularly on curricular development. Okay. Um, because uh, I realized that, uh, take for instance, Akofi Cristela uh, in Ghana, yes. uh, which was started by late, uh, um, late uh, Ghanaian scholar, Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in the person of uh, Kwame Bediako. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they are doing marvelous uh, well, and their effort is highly commendable True. Uh, in the sense that uh, they're heavily committed uh, to enhancing ministerial formation, but yet they're equally interested in the intellectual stimulation and development of the the ministers that attend their program and their programs are all accredited, which makes it uh, quite uh, commendable. Uh, Though they still run all the courses uh, along the line. And likewise here, we are seeing a significant paradigm shift uh, whereby uh, Pentecostal churches also are beginning to warm up to academia, um, particularly the, uh, theological education. It's, it's quite interesting that uh, uh, a, a denomination that is close to us here, uh, that's um, Angkor University, has, uh, has affiliated their Bible college uh, to the university right now, and which uh, to many, it's a whole, oh, why, what is the whole essence of this? Uh, but the reality is the fact that the critical hedge required um, to deal with some of the issues in the contemporary uh, society, particularly when you're talking about postmodernity and their lives, it requires a critical discourse, a critical engagement for, uh, for these future leaders to grapple with and uh, be stimulated while still maintaining the spiritualities of essence in the life of the priest, and it must not be compromised. Sure. Uh, I've seen that uh, repeatedly where I work. Uh, there's strong emphasis on moral formation as well as spiritual formation, which is quite the bedrock of the uh, of the character of a Christian leader. Uh, but above all, the intensity also and the passion is that to get uh, the next generation of leaders uh, to also de- develop their, their intellectual uh, ability along the things of the kingdom. Uh, so hopefully uh, that's taking shape. Uh, the other bit also is the fact that uh, uh, we are having churches now interested uh, in this particular development, which is a massive one. Uh, various affiliations are now taking place whereby theological institutions 
and half later would invest it. Uh, you realize that uh, the Baptist seminary now is now affiliated with Bowen University, of which Liverpool Hope University have, uh, have a commitment to them. That's right. Yes. And likewise, we have two affiliations with Investor Badon, uh, Redeemers University as well. Uh, Life Seminary also is affiliated with Investor of Badon. Uh, you have uh, the, um, the Presbyterian uh, Seminary, uh, which is in, uh, I think, Abia, is affiliated with Abia State University. Uh, you have uh, uh, United Missionary uh, Church Seminary in Loring, which is affiliated with University of Bible. These are church-based theological institutions, but that does not uh, divulge us of our uh, unique qualities as theological institutions in terms of ministerial formation. So we are now saying it's possible for you to be a minister and also be a scholar. Uh, the key things that must be maintained, maintain your spirituality, sure. uh, and you can also exercise your academic ability in the knowledge of the things of God. Wow, that's really exciting. It, it, it changes the field altogether. It, it opens up possibilities of um, really good character Christians with a very good intellectual standing. So that's that's critical. I'm 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 excited to hear that. I haven't been aware of that happening in, in East or Central Africa. Uh, I will explore. But if that's what's happening in Nigeria, I I, I think it will catch on. And oh I guess you know you know this trend uh, is not new to South Africa. Okay. Uh, you'll find that, that most theological, most uh, universities um, have given much space to theological education. Okay. Uh, take, for instance, Reformed Church uh, in South Africa, the Dutch Reformed Church, uh, are actively involved in, uh, in the Department of uh, Practical Theology and uh, uh, missiology in South Africa. Sure. Uh, and so those departments were initially more or less uh, seminaries that were grafted in, into the university system to train academics and also seminarians. Sure. Uh, the only difference is the fact that if you want to go into academia, academia, you go straight into it. And if you want to go into the line of the priesthood, you are free to go. And so they tend to develop along that line. So you find that level of development in South Africa, which is essentially very good. You also find it um, now coming up in, uh, in uh, East Africa uh, with institutions uh, that were formerly entirely Christian um, now becoming part of the Faculty of uh, Theology uh, now awarding degrees. And, you know, uh, the evangelical movement in East Africa established their own uh, institution at a point in time, uh, which has now metamorphosized into a full-fledged university. Yeah, right. So you find various uh, 
changes going on along that line. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we still have uh, uh, various arguments with respect to the appropriateness of this. Um, some are still resistant to embrace that, while I know there is a tension that has to be maintained. Sure. Uh, the spiritual aspect of things, uh, the mysterious formation has to be thorough, uh, the spiritual formation has to be thorough, uh, and likewise, the academic formation has to be thorough as well, so that the three components uh, which are vital to the character of a Christian leader are not mortgaged. Well, is a tension that has to be managed uh, <laughs> accordingly, not to be excessively on the side of intellectual formation to the detriment of spiritual formation, sure. nor... Uh, ministerial formation. Uh, all the three components needs to be well managed properly, and this has to be through structured uh, theological education, sure. structured spiritual discipline, uh, structured uh, ministerial components in theological training. Uh, so I think those areas are quite important. Brilliant. Thank you. And the final words to people watching this? Well, thank you for linking up again. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to have this discussion with you, and I think we should keep on the conversation, uh, particularly in our field, and uh, talking about this uh, with an African eye to keep a tab on mission. Sure. Essentially, uh, the obsessive compulsion and lack of incarnational living uh, from those who are involved in mission. Uh, likewise, the prophetic role of, uh, of, uh, of African church leaders, uh, which seems to be fading in, in the face of obsessive or compulsive corrupt uh, leading society, uh, is an area that uh, think, I think uh, missiologists should focus more uh, to be able to denounce the the God of materialism and be able to challenge us to be incarnational in our orientation and in our character that we can say it loud and clear. Uh, just the way Amos stood and said it, Jeremiah did the same thing sure. and um, they, they fulfilled their days. So we should not shy away from it but talk about it sure. in our publications, in our writings to create awareness of all this. And so I think uh, I look forward to such a time to be involved in such uh, an enterprise if any comes my way. Awesome. So thanks once again. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Okay, then. Cheers, bye. God bless you.